Morning. Welcome to Life Point. My name is Donnie Williams. I'm the lead pastor. And if you're here for the first time, I would love to meet you. After the service is over, I'll be right down front here along with our site pastor at this location, Rob Perry. We'd love to meet you, hear a little bit about your story and how you found your way here to Life Point today. We're in a series called The Story. And we're looking at the core stories of scriptures beginning in Genesis and going all the way through to Revelation. And for the past few weeks, we've been tracking with this group of people called the Israelites and their mistakes and their victories and how God has finally allowed them to enter into the promised land. But they've got some difficulties ahead of them because they are forgetting God. They're making mistakes. And as we talked about last week, they've come at a time when they're under the rule of some ungodly people. If you've missed any parts of this message or this series... You can go to our website, lifepointchurch.com slash the story. You can get a lot of resources that you can read on your own or with your small group. And you can also get a copy of the book, The Story, which is a chronological version of the Bible. Well, right now there's some Bibles coming down the aisles. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. The ushers will give you one of those. It's yours to keep. You can read along today. You can borrow it. You can take it with you. Or you can just look at the screen as I read from the scriptures today. Well, in a little over a couple of weeks... There's going to be a lot of excitement at your house, especially if you have little kids, right? Now, how many of your kids like hope they're going to get something? They have no chance. No way. You're not going to do it. And they're just, they're, they're dreaming. People are like, yes, yes, tell my kids they're not going to get what they think they're getting. But they're dreaming about something and they're going to open up and they're going to be excited about whatever you get them. But there's probably that little, little piece inside of them that's like, I really wanted that whatever that you've said, you're not getting that, stop asking. I remember growing up, there was this one particular toy that I really wanted. I was born in 1967. I will save you the math. I'm 46 years old. Listen to me. Don't try to do math in your head. It can harm you. But about uh, mid-70s, 75, 76, I really enjoyed playing with Matchbox cars. Now, come on, who's with me? Come on, yeah, Matchbox cars. It's like, there was no Wii. There was no iPhone. Uh, there was no, I mean, not everybody had a video game at home. And if you did, it was just a little white dot that went back across on the screen. Really wasn't that fun. So Matchbox cars, that's where it was at for guys. Come on. And I had these little things called Matchbox car cities. Anybody know what I'm talking about? A Matchbox car city? That was a big deal. And what a Matchbox car city was, was a, it looked like a little suitcase, but when you sat it down and you opened it up, this, this city came to life and you ran your cars through it and you could drive through the country. They had urban scenes and rural scenes and all kinds of different things that you could do and they could snap together and you could create like a matchbox car world. And there was one piece of that that I wanted. It was the matchbox car city super garage. It parked 40 cars on top. It had a garage you drove through at the bottom. It even had a car that you could pull your car in this elevated parking garage and turn a wheel and the car went up. I can remember being at my friends watching theirs going, oh, I got to have that. So every Christmas, I would think this is the year they are going to get me the super garage that will park 40 cars. And they never got it. 
And, oh, that's what I said. Every year, I, I mean, my parents loved me. They, they got me most of what I wanted, but they, for some reason, did not think I, did not deem me worthy enough to get me that one particular thing, and I never got it. Every Christmas, I would open up. This is it. This is it. No, it's not it. It's the farm scene again. Oh, open up. Open up. No, it's another city scene, and I never got it. I was looking not too long ago on eBay. I guess maybe there's something deep inside of me. It's like, I got to buy this. I honestly looked for this on eBay to see if it existed. And you can buy one for 300 bucks. If you see one for a lot less than that, let me know because I'm going to buy it. And it'll probably complete something in me that, that just needs completed. We all deal with disappointments in life. Not just by not getting the gift we might want. But some of us deal with, we think life is going to go one way. And then ends up going another. And I would imagine a crowd of this size, there's a lot of people in here, you have dealt with disappointment. Maybe right now you're dealing with some disappointment that you never anticipated. Maybe you just graduated college and you said this, I will never move back home with mom and dad. Or maybe your kid went away to college and you said, I will never let them move back into this house. But you find yourself without a job, nowhere to turn, and you're back home in your high school bedroom. Or maybe you wanted to be somewhere else financially than where you are right now and you're not there. Or somewhere relationally. Or the happily ever after story that you dreamt about as a little girl just didn't quite play out the way you had hoped. And as we go through this story today, about a woman who exercised great faith in the face of horrible odds, you're going to see how God will rescue us in the middle of whatever we're dealing with, and no matter what your disappointment in life is. So we're looking at a book in the Old Testament called Ruth. And when we start the story of Ruth, we quickly see that life is not going as planned. And the book of Ruth is it, it's kind of a weird book in the Bible. It doesn't really fit. It kind of starts out, it doesn't say these words, but it kind of sounds like a fairy tale. It could just as well have started once upon a time. This happened. And her story seems a little bit out of place because there are no grand theological statements, no communication between God and people, like in a lot of the other books of the Old Testament. Nothing about any direction from God about this is what you're supposed to do. It's just a story. No memory verses, no direction, just a story. And it takes place about a thousand years before the birth of Christ, when the nation of Israel was ruled by judges. Now, when we say the word judges, I honestly think of like Judge Judy, don't you? Uh, that's what I think of, somebody wearing a long black robe, sitting up there stern and pronouncing judgment on people who have done things wrong. Well, that's not really what the judges were when you read about the Old Testament judges. The judges were military leaders. And what these military leaders had done by the time the book of Ruth and the story of Ruth happens, they had started to look at other countries, ungodly leaders, ungodly countries, and allowed them to start to influence the nation of Israel. So much so, in the book of Judges, it says that people forgot what God had done for them, and they had forgot about God. 
And so what happens in the book of Ruth, is it just the consequences of that happening? Or is it God's judgment? The book never says. But we pick up this story of Ruth. In Ruth chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, and we start to get introduced to the characters in this story. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. Now, these were all Jewish people. And, and then, especially then, the Jewish people really thought a lot about what they were going to name their kids. Some people do that today. They think a lot about what it means and you look it up and you want to know what it means. And some people just name their kids because I really like that name or that was your grandmother or grandfather's name and boy, just live with it. That's how I got my middle name. I wish it was something else. If you want to know what it is, you can ask me later. So they named their kids something that means something. So Elimelech's parents, when they named him, his name means my God is king. That's a powerful name. Here comes my God is king down the hallway. That's powerful. And then Naomi's parents, when, when she was born and they named her, they named her a word, the word Naomi means pleasant or sweet. And then I don't know what my God is king and Miss Pleasant or Sweet were thinking, but when they named their boys, Malon and Kilion, they named them sick and dying. That's what those words mean. Oh, we had kids and I would love for you to meet them. Here's little influenza and here's little pneumonia. Would you like them to come over for a while? Uh, No, no thanks. But for whatever reason, that's what the kids named. Maybe they didn't think a lot about it. But there's this famine in the land and Elimelech has made the decision that he needs to move on with his family. That they're in danger, that they're going to starve to death, they're not going to be able to make a living. And so he says, we are moving on. To the, te- to the region of Moab and live around the Moabites. Moab was a really ungodly place. The Moabites began with an incestuous relationship between a father and a daughter, and they continued worshiping other gods, living ungodly lifestyles. So that's where Elimelech chooses to take his family. And very quickly, after you read that verse that's on the screen, it says Elimelech died. doesn't say how doesn't say like, you know, he was hit by a camel going, I get the mail. It's just, he died. And so that leaves a widow and two sons. Now the two sons go on to marry two women. One's name was Orpha and the other's name was Ruth. And that's how this book gets its name. But it's not long after they marry Orpha and Ruth, they die. The two boys die. I mean, I didn't see that coming, did you? So here now we have three widows. And in that day, a widow was desperate. There were no social services. There, were, there was nowhere she could go for people to take care of her. There was no church to go to. There was no city to go to. There was nowhere. You were just desperate and alone. And so she starts to hear that, well, maybe back in Bethlehem, things are different. And she actually starts to get news that, that the famine had actually ended. And she says, we have to go back, or I have to go back. 
She's now the matriarch of the family. She tells her daughters-in-law, you go back to your families, go back to your mothers and fathers, uh, go back to your gods, in a sense is what she said. I'm going back to my God. I'm going back to my city of Bethlehem. You go on. And Orpha says, okay, I'm out. Not going. But Ruth says something different. She knows how desperate her mother-in-law is. And she's older. Ruth is younger. And here's what Ruth says as her mother-in-law is urging her to leave her and let her go alone, alone back to Bethlehem. It says, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Now you may have heard, if you've heard anything from the book of Ruth, this is probably something you've heard at a wedding. Anybody ever heard that at a wedding? You know, the pastor reads that and he's telling the couple, don't let anything separate you. But really, in its context, that's really not the appropriate way to apply what Ruth chapter 1 says. The best way to apply this at a wedding is to get the bride and the groom each to turn and face their mothers-in-law. And then, repeat after me, where you go, I will go. I bet they would be going, I am out. (laughs) Nobody told me about this. I just don't think that would catch on if we start trying to do that. But together, Ruth and Naomi start this journey over the mountains back to Bethlehem. Now this story, as we go through it, you're going to see how this story is tied to the birth of Christ. It's tied to what we're getting ready to celebrate in a couple of weeks, Christmas. In Ruth chapter 1 it says, So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. Bethlehem, that's where Jesus was born. Everybody knows that. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Now, how would they even have known it's Naomi? She's been gone for many years, and she's showing back up, and they're going, Is that is that's Naomi who left here with her husband and her boys? That that can that be her? How would they even know that? Well, it's a small town, about two hundred people. I grew up in a very small town. A thousand people in my small town. Still. A thousand people in the little town where I grew up. More people will be at our church today than my small town where I grew up. And there's some great things about growing up in a small town. You know everybody. And there's some horrible things about growing up in a small town. You know everybody. And that's the kind of town they're going back to. Bethlehem, a small town. Naomi shows up and they're saying, is that Naomi? The woman who left here with full of promise that her husband and her boys were going to take her and the family was going to thrive the family was going to prosper in the place of Moab and this lady that left sweet and generous is now back and here's what Naomi says when they say is that sweet is that her is that that sweet lady and she responds by saying don't call me Naomi call me Mara because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter I went away full But the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And what we're reading is Naomi, 
doing what any human does when things really start to go sour in our life. God, why in the world would you let this happen to me? Why in the world would you let my husband lead me to a foreign land and then he dies? And then my boys die. Why would you let that happen? We struggle with the same thing. When things happen in our life, we say, God, why in the world could this ha- has this happened to me? If you're taking notes, write this down. When things don't go our way, it's really easy to blame God. Now, there are bad things happening in our lives. Bad things will happen in your life. That's just a fact of life. We all deal with difficult issues, with challenges. But to say, God, why are you letting this happen to me? There's some, you know, primarily, here's why bad things happen to us. One, it could be from something I caused. So if you're just, if you're just buried in a mountain of debt, how could you say, God, how'd you let this happen to me? If God would speak verbally back, he would say, I didn't use the credit card, you did. I didn't sign my name on the dotted line, you did. Or maybe your life is a wreck because of some really bad moral decisions that you made. That's not God's problem, nor is it God's fault that you made those decisions. So you may be dealing with a difficult time in life because you caused it. Now, sometimes bad things happen to us because of somebody else. We were innocent. We didn't do anything wrong, and they hurt us. They mistreated us. They abused us. And so that can leave us bitter in life. But that's not God's fault that somebody mistreated you and somebody did something bad to you. That's that person's fault, but it's surely not God's fault. And then we just live in a broken world. If you've listened through this whole series called The Story, you know that sin entered the world few thousand years before we read this story of Ruth, the world was a perfect place because of humanity's sin. The world became a broken place where bad things happen. And when you're in a broken place, bad things are going to happen. That doesn't mean it's God's fault. But sometimes the, when we deal with that kind of pain, the kind of pain that Naomi's dealt with, it can leave us bitter. It can leave us desperate. And then we start to cycle where we do anything for acceptance, anything we can to ease the pain, anything just to feel better. It doesn't matter. I just want to feel better. I just don't want to hurt anymore. I just don't want to feel this darkness anymore. So whatever I need to do, I'm going to do it because I want to feel better. So you have two women, Ruth and Naomi, who are experiencing the same thing. And Naomi says, ah, I'm bitter now. Call me bitter. Don't call me sweet. I'm bitter. Change my name, I'm so mad at God. And Ruth takes a completely different approach. Ruth's approach is, hey, if we're ever going to eat, I got to go out and work. I got to go do something. I can't just sit here and whine and wallow. I got to go do something. And so it says in Ruth chapter 2, she says to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And what she's talking about is this principle called gleaning. You know what gleaning is? We've done it as a church, gone down to the sweet potato fields, and we've gleaned and given it to the food bank. And the person who owned the farm, they just gave that freely. In Leviticus chapter 23, God set up this principle to help take care of the poor. 
He says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. And what's happening is God is setting up a way for those who are desperate, for those who are poor, for those who are strangers in a strange land. He's setting up a way for them to work to earn their keep, to earn their pay, to earn their food. He doesn't just say, hey, if you have a field, give it to these people. He says, no, leave it so they can come and gather and they can eat and they can take care of themselves. Ruth is not asking for anybody to give her anything. She just needs a break. She just needs some help. And that's what she finds when she shows up at a field and she starts to gather some grain by a farmer who was following the principle of not harvesting to the edge of his field. And she shows up in this field owned by a guy named Boaz who just happens to be a distant relative of her mother-in-law and her father-in-law who has since died. So she brings home, back to Naomi, several days worth of grain. And her mother-in-law, who now wants to be called bitter, kind of changes her tune all of a sudden when Ruth says, oh, I got this in Boaz's field. And Naomi's like, well, Boaz? And then she says this, well, the Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She's saying, even in my bitterness, even in my anger towards him, God is still showing us kindness. Because Ruth, this man is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. It's also called, in other translations, kinsman redeemer. And what a guardian redeemer or a kinsman redeemer was, was a male relative who had the privilege or responsibility to act on behalf of the relative who was in trouble, in danger, or in need. What they do is they deliver and they rescue. See, Elimelech, who died at the beginning of this story, just gets a couple of lines in the book of Ruth, he would have owned land. And now, Naomi's at a difficult spot because this land who was gi- that was given by God, part of the promised land, whatever tribe he was part of, he would have been given a plot of land. And now his widow is desperate, so she's going to have to go and sell the land outside of the family so she can afford to eat. But a kinsman or guardian redeemer comes along and says, no, 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 I'm part of that family and we don't want that land to leave our family, so I will take in the widow and I will take care of everything. I will even birth a son through the widow So this land for generations can be kept in the family. Naomi knows this, and she sees this as a great opportunity. She's too old to find a kinsman redeemer, but hey, Ruth isn't. She's young, and evidently she's good looking because she really attracted Boaz's attention out at the edge of the field. And she starts to give her daughter-in-law dating advice. And she says, here's what I want you to do, Ruth. I want you to go to Boaz's house. I want you, when he goes to bed, I want you to go in his bedroom. I want you to uncover his feet. And I want you to lay at his feet. You're thinking, ooh, what's getting ready to happen? Another one of those Bible stories you got to tell the, the grade school kids to go out. No, it's nothing like that. That was just a sign of her saying, I want you to ask me to marry you. That's a sign of Ruth saying, I am at your feet and I need you 
and I need you to redeem me. Boaz obviously is deeply in love with Ruth already because he agrees to do it. Then he realizes, but I'm not really the next of kin in line. There are other people ahead of me who could do this. So he goes before the elders of the city, the elders of the family, and he says, I want to redeem them. I want to be the one. Not because I have to, because there are other people ahead of me, but because I want to. I want to redeem them, and I want this land to stay in our family, and I want to be the one who does it, Boaz says. Now think back about this story. They happen to come back to Bethlehem. They happen to end up in Boaz's field. Out of all the fields around Bethlehem and all the farmers, they happen to end up in a relative's field. Ruth happened to catch his eye. And when he saw Ruth and heard her name, he already knew that's that foreign woman who had so much faith that she came back here with her mother-in-law to help take care of her. He happened to be where he was at just that time. If things are tough for you, if things are difficult, if you're at a time in life you're thinking, why is nothing working out? If you're where Naomi had to be thinking, it's just not working out. Things aren't going the way I'd planned. It seems to be getting worse. But now things are starting to get clearer where she can look back and see that God is always at work in my life, even when I don't feel like He is. Even when Naomi was saying, I'm not Naomi, I'm bitter. My name's Mara now, call me that. God was at work. And so it says in Ruth 4, verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who has this day not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. And so what the women are saying, Ruth has scored a husband. He has scored, she has scored a redeemer. And because you're part of her family, he loves you too as his mother-in-law, and he's going to take care of you. So from that point forward, it was no longer Ruth and her bitter mother-in-law. It was Ruth and Naomi, the two that had been redeemed by Boaz. Everything changed for them at this point. And Ruth and Boaz have a son. And that son's name is Obed. And then Obed has a son named Jesse. And then Jesse has a son named David, King David, the little boy who defeated a giant and a bear and a lion and eventually became king of Israel. And 24 generations after King David in the town of Bethlehem, a Savior was born. That's how the life of a foreign woman who exercised great faith is connected to the birth of Christ in a little town that other than Jesus being born, nobody would have ever heard of. And if you start with the life of Jesus and you go back 24 generations, then another 24 generations, then another 24 generations, you will end up 
with his great-grandmother that many times removed, a prostitute in Jericho named Rahab. And a prostitute in Jericho named Rahab was connected to a little boy named Obed who had a son, who had a son named David, that out of that line came the Savior of the world. Does God not work in amazing ways to make things happen? And if he can do that, if he can take a woman, if he can take a woman who was desperate, hungry, and alone, who thought she had nowhere to turn, who thought that life was over and she was destined for a life of poverty and struggle and pain, if God can arrange her life to where she can be redeemed by Boaz, what do you think he can do with yours? What do you think he can do with your life when you feel like, I'm desperate, I'm hungry, I'm alone? You can also be redeemed. In Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, you're Ruth in the story. I'm Ruth in the story. We are Naomi's in the story. We don't bring anything to the table. Ruth and Naomi had zero. But Boaz said, I love them and I want them in my family. He's the one that gave up. It cost him something. It cost them nothing. And when Christ changes a life it costs us nothing it costs him everything and if you're still just checking out christ or if you've gone through a difficult time and you're just thinking how do i take another step grab hold of this idea of our kinsman redeemer and i know it works because i have a card too just like ruth did this is what my card says I had a difficult childhood. I just did. Want to have coffee with me sometime? I'm glad to share with you. But this, this difficult childhood led to some really bad decisions. And in spite of parents who loved me and protected me as best they could and never harmed me, I still had a very difficult childhood. So much so that I thought, what will I ever do with my life? How can I ever make anything out of myself? And then one day, somebody invited me to a Bible study. I went to this Bible study and I started to learn about forgiveness. And I started to learn about acceptance. And I was like, I want in on that. I wish I would have listened more in Sunday school because I didn't get that. I want that. And I remember thinking, if I could just sit on the back seat of the church, that'd be great. I could just sit back there because I don't want to get up in front of anybody and talk. If I, if I, could just, I could just sit there in the back of the church and go on with my degree. I was hoping to be a professor or, or a meteorologist. And, and I was just thinking, if I could just go on and finish this degree. I never thought God can use me and, and those mistakes I made and all the mistakes I made up until I, I heard about Jesus. And, and you mean ministry? You mean like lead other people to Christ? So this is what you might see if you knew my life 
before Christ. But this is what happened. Used by God anyway. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The mistakes, the goof-ups, the pain, all that stuff, used by God anyway. That can be your story. I want you to take a look at this screen. And as Sarah sings this next song, look at the words and feel the words as she sings to us.
God, thank you for these people who are here sharing little pieces of their story. God, may you use these little nuggets of their lives to touch people who are here today. Use them to be the seed that allows you to get into their lives and redeem everything that needs redemption. God, thank you that we don't have to bring anything to you, just our life. Thank you for being the one that paid all the price and made all the effort and did all the work and just making your redemption free to all who will accept it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So you have a card, too. You may not have it in your pocket or written on a piece of paper, but you have something in your life, something that hurts, some mistake that you've made, something that you wish that had never happened, and something you look at and say, this has really made my life worse, but I want it to be better. So whatever your card says about your life, this is what you need to know today. You need to know that this is available to every person in this room. You may have come here just because your husband or wife or mom or dad or kids drug you here again today and made you show up. You can leave redeemed. Just come up and talk to me after the service. I'll be right there. Our site pastor, Rob Perry, will be right over there. When we finish up in a few minutes, just come down and talk to us. We'd love to hear more about your story. And we would love to see you experience the redemption that comes through knowing who Jesus Christ is. And that's how a woman who lived over 3,000 years ago is connected to Jesus being born in Bethlehem and is connected to the promise that you can be redeemed. God, thank you for, thank you so much for today, the stories we've heard and the redemption that you offer us. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.